it's easy for us to come and gather, sing a song we know, not sing a song we don't know, and never once engage the heart. Never once, once engage the soul. And that could be for different reasons. That could be pride. It's a big one. That could be I've got stuff that is weighing me down, and so I know I'll be a hypocrite if I sing them. That's, that's good. Don't, don't be a hypocrite. That's always good advice. I, I don't know why. Anger came to mind for me this morning. And, um, you know, there's two things that we tend to let seep in our life and we give permission to stay there. It's socially acceptable as long as we can keep it under control and manage it. Uh, we don't tend to do much about it or deal with it, but it's two of the most damaging things that keeps us from worshiping the Lord, keeps us from hearing His voice, keeps us from following His Spirit, and that's unforgiveness and then it's anger. I want, I want to just pray into anger this morning, but before praying about anger, um, the thing I want, to, I want to say to you is this, is if you've got anger lurking in your heart, that could be simply, man, the drive over here was rough and those kids, right? And so you just need to get rid of that residue, right? Instead of holding on to it. But it also could be, I live with anger and it, and it simmers under the surface and it's, and it's impacting everyone else, but I don't necessarily notice it, but everyone is walking on eggshells around me because don't make this person mad, right? That's a bigger issue. But at the root, they're both sin. The Lord says, um, be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Don't give the enemy a foot place or a foothold or a, a place to operate in your life. Uh, some, some translations capture the word there and the idea is um, in, in a military battle, you go and you break across the lines, you take that first post, and then now you have a forward operating base from which you can now do all other missions. Right? You're giving the enemy a forward operating base in your life if you're holding on anger from which he can operate from which he can then now go and increase that anger, intensify that anger, damage the relationships around you, prevent you from tuning in and hearing the Lord because you're so consumed with anger you can't hear it. So here's the way we deal with that. We confess our sins because he is faithful and he is just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We walk in the light just as he is in the light. As long as we keep our sin hidden in darkness, which is what we do, and it's been the way ever since sin entered into humanity, Adam and Eve sinned, and what did they do? They hid. And God called them out. Where are you, Adam? Not because God didn't know where he was, because God calls his people into his presence. Walk in the light as he is in the light. That is, don't hide from it. As long as you live in darkness and you keep that sin buried, that anger buried, that, that anger will have a root in your life that continues to grow deeper and deeper. So I say this to you before we pray. If you really want to be free from your anger, if you've got anger, whether it's just, hey, this morning I got mad at the kids and I haven't let go of that, or it's I live with it. If you really want to get free of it, you got to bring it into the light. As long as you keep it in darkness, it will have power over your life. As soon as you bring it in the light, you're breaking the hold of that, of that, that anger in your life. And it's not you breaking it in your power, it's you're bringing it into light so that God can do with it what Christ did at the cross for it. He died for it. 
He died so that you would not be enslaved, so that I would not be enslaved. He died so that he could overcome the power of sin and darkness. He died so that he could come and destroy the works of the devil. Okay? So here's what I'm going to suggest to you. Right there where you are, if you've got anger in your heart, just go and bow your head, everybody. And you can do it right under your breath. I know you've got people in close quarters. We've got a lot of people in here this morning. Maybe you're just going to do it in your head for this morning. But I'm going to encourage you, just do it under your breath. Get some words and lip movement going. And confess that anger. Confession is, I see it as God sees it. It just needs to be simple. God, I've got anger in my heart. That's sin against you. That's sin against this other person. Just bring it, bring it before him now. And then now if that anger is directed towards someone that you need to forgive, remember forgiveness is not you releasing someone from their responsibility. Forgiveness is not you forgetting that something ever happened. Forgiveness is what you and I are responsible for regardless of whether the other person ever seeks it, ever seeks reconciliation. Forgiveness is what we're responsible for in our heart. That is, I'm going to choose not to hold against them something they've done to me, said to me, what's, what they've done that's hurt me, I'm going to choose, even though I know it happened, I'm going to choose not to hold it over them, to hold it against them. So if that's where you're at this morning, Lord, help me to forgive this person and say their name from the heart. And then go one step further if you're able this morning, if, if the Lord's working in your heart in this way, and you just say, I forgive this person. And, and name them. Yeah, I name, name them. And remember, forgiveness is not something that, hey, it happened today, so therefore it will never happen again, have to happen again. You might wake up tomorrow morning and have to do it all over again. The key here is you don't want unforgiveness. You don't want anger getting roots in you, growing deep. You want to keep them those roots from growing down. So as soon as you become aware of it, you don't give the enemy a place. And I'm going to tell you something. You start to deal with the anger that, that's there, the unforgiveness that's there, you're going to start to find freedom that you've not known. Maybe ever, maybe for a long time. You're going to find a peace that you've not experienced. You're going to be able to worship. And maybe you've never worshiped before in the way that you'll be able to worship. This is what your Father in heaven wants for you. He does not want you chained down by sin. If he did, Christ never needed to come. But he came to set us free to release the prisoners who have been held captive. Our God is a God who sets captive people free. But we so often want to go back into the safety of the cell. The safety of the prison cell. Where we had three meals provided for us and we had shelter. I wasn't free but I had those things and that's what I know and yet the Lord is calling you out of that to a freedom that yes it might be scary because you've always lived with your anger. Yes it might be scary because you've always lived with this unforgiveness and it's kind of given you a sense of control in your life and to, to release those things is to release control. And then, then you become free. Then you become free. Holy Spirit, come and fall upon us now. 
in a way that brings freedom. That brings freedom in Jesus' name from anger. Where there has been anger in this room that has been controlling us in the name of Jesus, we confess that and we bring it into the light just as you are in the light. And we confess it and we remind ourselves that if we confess our sins, that God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we are in Christ, we have received the forgiveness purchased for us at the cross. Now we walk in it as we confess it. Holy Spirit, if, if there is not freedom yet being brought to people in this room for anger or unforgiveness, come and shine your light in that darkness and expose it so the cockroaches start to scatter. But we see them. We know they're there now. God, if that's what you want to do this morning, just let people know the, 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 the cockroaches are there. Just for the record, I hate cockroach analogies. It's what came to mind. It's what, unfortunately, I grew up with them. But Lord, do it for us so that we can deal with them. Nobody wants to live with that. So come and bring freedom now in Jesus' name. Come and bring, come and bring peace where there hasn't been peace before. Come and let your peace and your love flood our hearts in Jesus' name. Come and bring forgiveness. Help us to forgive. And if we can't be at that spot this morning, help us to want to be at that spot this morning where we, where we want to be able to forgive. Lord, do the work in our hearts. Chisel away the stoniness, the hardness, and in your mercy and in your kindness, lead us to repentance and lead us to freedom. In Jesus' name. If you're using those uh, Bibles from the chairs, you're going to go, it depends on the Bible you have. Uh, if it's, a, if it's um, a Bible with a flame, you're going to page 154. If there's no flame, page 120. Deuteronomy chapter 10, we're going to look at the whole chapter, actually just zooming in on the second half, but we're covering the whole chapter today. Deuteronomy chapter, chapter 10 is where we're at. When I say the word, oh, this is going to be dangerous. When I say the word allegiance, what comes to mind? Pledge allegiance, faithfulness, unity. Anybody else, when I say the word allegiance, what comes to mind? Loyalty. I heard something else in there too. Say what? Survivor. Oh, on the show Survival, they make an allegiance, a teaming up together. That's a new dynamic. Thank you. I'm not going to say your name on the camera. Alliance. Oh, okay. Thanks. I was going with you. I was going with you. I just didn't want to humiliate you. I, I hadn't made the connection yet. I hadn't made the, Anybody else? Allegiance. Allegiance. That, that, that gets at it, doesn't it? That gets at it. A, a loyalty, faithfulness, um, maybe yeah, a unity. Yeah. All right. Um, does God come to mind when you think about allegiance? Yeah, absolutely. He should. Yeah. Um, not, not, not usually first, though. For us, unfortunately. See, we understand allegiance. We understand loyalty. We understand faithfulness. We, we understand commitment. The, 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 the struggle that we have, the challenge that we have, is where do we give our faithfulness, our loyalty, our allegiance? 
And there's one primary area where that allegiance must fall first. And from there, everything else must be filtered. And if our allegiance is rightly prioritized, there's a lot of things in our life that would get deprioritized. And Moses is going after this because he understands this as he's talking to these people who are standing on the the cusp of going into this land that's going to be abundantly blessed for them. It's going to have have crops and it's going to have cattle and livestock and they're going to get to have homes that have been built already. The Lord is going to bless these people. And, And he knows, Moses knows that the people are going to be surrounded by other people who their allegiance is in other places. Their allegiances to other gods, several gods maybe. Their allegiances are to a god named Baal. Their allegiances are to a god named Marduk. Their, their allegiances to a god named Chemosh. Or, or they, they've got any number of gods that they give their allegiance to. And maybe they might say, I give my allegiance to this god so that I get rain in due season for crops. I give my allegiance to this god because he's the god who fights on our behalf in battle, right? And so they, they have these allegiances. Now, if there's another god that comes in and it shows himself more powerful or shows herself more powerful, then their allegiance shifts. And if a people gets conquered by another people, their allegiance shifts. Moses knows this is the type of environment the people are going into, and he's very concerned about the people of God and where the allegiance, where the loyalty, the faithfulness, where the heart commitment that leads to a life commitment, where does it lie? And so here's what we're going to see. The people of God, it's simple. People of God must give their total, total allegiance to God. Amen. Total. That's an absolute word that leaves nothing else. Not 80%, not 90%, not allegiance to God and whatever. You fill in the gap, right? Total allegiance to God. And from that allegiance, everything else trickles. Everything else gets filtered. Everything else gets shaped by that allegiance. Now, as he, as he goes through this, um, we're going to zoom in on chapter uh, 10, verse 12. Uh, I just want to tell you, if you're, how many of you are doing the reading plan of Deuteronomy? I'm about to call you out right now. How many of you are doing the reading plan of Deuteronomy? Great, great, great. I, all right, that's a little depressing, actually, now that I... <laughs> hey, the two of you that raised your hand are really benefiting from it. But let me tell you, let me remind you, it's out there. Okay, so here's my goal. My goal is not to be your Bible guru. My goal is not to be your Bible answer man. I have resisted that for over 10 years that I've been here now. I have never wanted to be your Bible answer man. Never. Now, I want to be a resource to you. I want to be someone who can point you to where you can go and study deeper. I, I, I'm going to give you some of my thoughts, but, but I want you to be, go, be able to go and see it for yourself. If your faith, uh, this is not what I plan on preaching, but here we go. If your faith, if your understanding of the Bible is based on what I get up and teach to you every week, and that's all you can stand on, you will crumble. I believe I'm right when I'm teaching you. I'm doing the best I can to study. I'm, I'm prayerfully seeking the Lord. I'm diligently studying, but I'm simply a man. And you can't stand on my understanding of the scriptures. You have to stand on your understanding of the scriptures. Because when you stand before the Lord and you say, well, my pastor said this, he's going to say, but what about you? Right? So I'm simply here using the gift that God has given me to point you to the Lord, but you are responsible. So I never want to be your Bible answer man. Right? So 
All that to say, I put out a reading plan for you because I want you to read what we're, what we're looking at. I don't want you to take my word for it. If you're taking my word for it and someone challenges you, you don't have anything to stand on because you don't know what I've wrestled through to get to the conclusions I've get through to. You don't know the resources I've dug through to get to where I'm at. All you have is what I said. And if someone can think better than you or talk and articulate better than you, you will crumble if you're standing on just what I said. Even if I'm right, you have to test it. You have to stand on it and process it and think through it yourself so that when people test you and say, hey, I disagree, you can go, well, I understand that, but here's why I stand on where I stand, and then you can articulate it. And it's not just what Justin says or Russ says or Joel says or whoever your favorite TV preacher says because you're not standing with any of us on that day. Right? I'm not trying to shame you. I'm, I'm trying to challenge you. Right? And so I put these reading plans out so that you know what we're going to be preaching that next Sunday, unless the Lord leads otherwise, but we, pray, we stay pretty, pretty set on our schedule. So we, we tell you what we're preaching so you can read that in advance. You'll get more out of it because here I'm, gonna, I'm about to summarize 12 verses. I'm just going to tell you what's there. And, and if you don't look at it yourself, you're just taking my word for it that that's what's there. Right? Um, and then, and then if the other thing the reading plan does is it helps you see what we're going through. Where, did, where else in the scriptures does it show up? How does it impact and shape all those other things? Okay? So verses 1 through 11, verses 1 through 11, it's picking up what happened in chapter 9. And basically, Moses came down. He's retelling the story of how um, the previous generation of people worshipped the golden calf at the bottom of Mount Sinai or Mount Horeb. Right? Moses comes down, he's got the two tablets uh, of stone that contain the Ten Commandments or the Ten Words, and he sees that they've worshipped these, these other um, gods by creating a golden calf. He throws the, the tablets down, crashes them, breaks them, and then he deals with the golden calf. But now since the tablets were broken, he's got to go back up the mountain for another 40 days and 40 nights where he's going to be given two more sets of tablets. Okay, that's verses, uh, the first set of verses 1 through 11. The next set, we find out that the people of Israel start to travel a little bit. And in the course of their traveling, Moses' brother Aaron dies. Aaron was the one who was serving as the priest to the people. When Aaron dies, he has a son named Eleazar. Eleazar takes over the ministry of Aaron. Right? And then Moses helps us understand in there, there's a little tidbit about the Levites. This is just something that helps us understand why, why do the Levites, when you think about the 12 tribes and the land, you never see land for the Levites. But they're a legitimate son of Jacob. Why do you never see land for them? Instead, Joseph, his two sons get, get each a half portion of land, Ephraim and Manasseh. Levi, the people of Levi, are who God set aside to be ministers and priests before him among the people. Though they don't have one land, one area where they are contained. Instead, they're dispersed among all the different tribes, and they are the ones that are going to minister to the Lord and to the people in the midst of those tribes. And God says to them, they won't have an inheritance because the Lord God, Yahweh God, is their inheritance. Okay? That's the kind of stuff we find out in, in, in verses 1 through 11. You should read it, though. Verses 12 is where we're going to pick up where Moses, Moses comes back around and he does a bit of a shift. The people of God must give their total allegiance to God. What you're going to see Moses do in these, in these uh, 12 through 22 is he's going to say basically the same thing three different ways. It's like three different cycles. He's going to say, here's the instruction I'm giving you, and here's the basis upon which I give you that instruction or the reason. Here's what you need to do. Here's the reason you should be doing that. And he's going to do it three different times. All of it's pointing to the same thing. It's like surround sound. Now, you and I, we are all trained 
by Western ways of thinking, which is very linear, very logical. One thing follows the other, very sequential. So A leads to B, leads to C, leads to D. Or A plus B equals C. It just, it's, it's very linear, linear. And so we think like that, and we think, man, it's just got to move in a straight line. But in Eastern ways of thinking, the Bible was written by all people who were Eastern in their thinking, there tends to be more of a cyclical type of thinking. And the way they communicate, we tend to communicate, you, you pick this up in my sermons probably, the way I communicate, I tend to communicate just straight line. I'm going to tell you what I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you it, and then I'm going to tell you what I told you, right? That's basic communication, but that's basic Western communication. I'm going to tell you what I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell it to you, now I'm going to tell you what I just told you. And along the way, I'm just going to streamline it so that you're getting the point, right? Very Western. Eastern is, I'm going to tell you what I want to tell you. Now I'm going to tell it to you again in a different way. And then I'm going to tell it to you again in a different way. Are you getting it yet? Right? And, and so there's, there's repetition. And we tend to push back against repetition because we think repetition is simplistic. Repetition is boring. Repetition is kind of dumbing things down. And yet the scripture is, is filled with repetition. Repetition, repetition, repetition. Right? And so Moses is going to use that to, his, to, to, to communicate to his listeners this one thing. The people of God must give their total allegiance to God. So look, look with me. He's going to give us three, three reasons why we should give our total allegiance to God. And the first one we're going to find out is this. Because God sets his love on his people. God sets his love on his people. So look with me at verse 12. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 12. Moses says to the people, and now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens and the earth and all that is in it. Yet the Lord set his heart in love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them, you above all peoples, as you are this day. So Moses starts with a question. What does the Lord require of you? That's a great question. That's a question every one of us asks or should be asking. As I become a believer in Christ or as I'm considering the teachings of the Bible, what does God, the God of the Bible, what does he require of his people? I need to know what God requires of me if I'm going to live in a relationship with God. And remember, this Old Testament, we, we tend to shy away from it because it's, we call it all law. It's not. In our minds, we think Western law, so we think instructions, rules, regulations. The, the Old Testament is, is instruction. It is testimonies about things that have happened. It is some rules and regulations. And all of that gets grouped together under Torah, instruction. Right? It's the word of God. And, and so when we, when we think about the Old Testament, we tend to go, yeah, it's not really relevant for me today because I don't live in that day. I don't, I don't need to follow all those rules. Things like that go through our head. So then we check out completely. Never mind the fact that New Testament writers like Paul says, hey, all these things were written in the past for your instruction. Timothy, uh, Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy, he says, all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for correction, for reproof, for rebuke, for training in righteousness. And when Paul wrote that, the Old Testament was the scriptures. He valued them. Jesus in his day, he, he, he was what the New Testament's being written about and so they weren't written yet. He's, he's teaching from the Old Testament scriptures and then he's giving clarity and greater understanding of it. 
right? The Old Testament is valuable for us, right? And so when, when, when we read something like this, we go, oh, okay, well, that's what they were asking. But I'm going to say to you, hey, if you want to live in the context of a relationship with God, you need to ask the same question. Well, what does he require of me? And remember, these people, they've been set free from Egypt, having lived there for some 400 years. All they've known is the, the Egyptian gods around them, unless they had a family who held on to their heritage and who was teaching them. And many of these families were passing on the stories about their, their beloved ancestor Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and the promises that God had given them. But man, you're hearing about these promises, and yet you're living in slavery, not in the land that God promised. And so, so what Moses is now doing as he's bringing them out of Egypt and into the land is he's helping them understand who is this God? This one who has just overcome all of the Egyptian gods, who has just shown himself more powerful and, and greater than anything you've ever known or experienced, and he's brought you out of slavery. Who is this God? How do you live in the context of a relationship with this God? What does he require of you? And of course, the answer is very simple, total allegiance. Simply said, not simply done. What does the Lord require of you? That's the question, and then he's going to answer it three different ways, saying the same thing. Here's the first one. So he gives a little, bit, a little bit of a list here. You're to fear the Lord, your God. You're to walk in his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord. He said all of this already up to this point. None of this is new in Moses' sermon. In fact, he's going to say all of this again as we keep reading. He's going to just keep coming back to these same things. Fear the Lord. That's, that's, that yes is respect, but that is you need to fear him. He's the creator of the universe. He is all powerful. He is the one who these people had experienced. He's killing people all around you when they go against him. He's all powerful. You should fear him right? Because when I fear him, when I understand who he is, and I leave him in his proper place instead of pulling him down and trying to make him in my own image, I understand I need to take seriously his word. I need to take seriously his instruction. I need to take seriously this God. I don't treat him casually. I don't treat him commonly. He's not my buddy. He's not, my, he's not my, 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 my friend that just gets to, to, to cuddle up against. We are called friends of God in Christ if we pursue that, right? But we, we are not to be buddy-buddy with God where I treat him casually and common. He's holy. Amen. He's completely set apart. There's no one else like him. There's no other God, little g. There's no person in your life that you have ever experienced or ever known that is like him. So therefore, he deserves your total allegiance. Amen. So fear, that's a healthy fear of God. I need to walk in his ways. That is, I need, to, I need to live according to his standards, not my own. I need to love him, right? That goes more, more than just my emotions and affections. To love God means also to obey God. I need to serve the Lord, the God, with all my heart, with all your soul. That leaves nothing out. All my heart and all my soul includes all of who I am. I need to keep the commandments and the statutes of the Lord. That's what Moses tells these people. That's, that's all encompassing, but it's all really pointing to the same thing. All of this points to you need to give your total allegiance to God. He's the one you commit your life to. He's the one that gets to direct your life. He's the one that gets to set the standards for your life. He, it's, it's his values that should become your values. The way he says you treat people is the way you actually treat people, right? Total allegiance means I'm looking to him and him alone for how I live my life, how I, how I give my affections away, all of that. 
And he says, and all of that's for your good. See, like we read through the scriptures or we have this idea that, that God's just trying to squash my happiness. God is trying to restrict me from doing what I want to do. And, and, and if God really was loving and, and if we were really teaching a loving God, then we would let people do what feels good or makes them happy. And yet God tells us, no, all of these things I'm commanding you, it's for your good. Because the one who created us and the one who created all things knows what's good. In fact, what's good is defined by who he is. And so when I start to peel away from that and I start to say, no, I know what's good. What's good is what makes me happy. God's saying, no, I I covered that here in my word because it, it, it won't make you happy long term. It's going to destroy you, right? So it's for your good. It might fill a desire for you right now. It might scratch an itch for you right now, but it's going to lead to destruction. These rules, these standards, these, these commandments, all of these things, it's for your good so that you can experience the fullness of what he has for you. Because as the people were to obey God in the land and were to, to, to follow his commandments, then God was going to be able to pour all of his blessings on him that he's promised through the covenant. All of the blessings that they would be able to, to experience in the land. It's for your good. So here's his list. Now here's his reason, the first reason. Why should I give my total allegiance to God? Why fear him, walk in his ways, all that kind of stuff? Because to the Lord your God belong heaven and earth, and the heaven, or the heavens and the heavens of heavens, the earth and all that is in it. In other words, he sits up there enthroned upon the heavens, and he does as he pleases. Everything belongs to him. He is all powerful. There's no one greater than he is. You're getting the picture, right? There's no one higher than this God. He is the highest of highs. And yet. And yet, the Lord set his heart in love on your fathers and on his offspring, which he, Moses says to the people, which is you. Even though God, Yahweh, the, the creator God, the one who has delivered you from Egypt, even though he is the highest high and, and the, the greatest of all gods and he is, he is all powerful, yet he has set his love on you. on your fathers, Abraham, which got passed down to Isaac, which got passed down to Jacob, which now is the people that Moses stands before. You above all other peoples. No, God doesn't play favorites. Yeah, he does. God's not fair. Like we, we think fair and we think everybody has to get the same thing. God's not fair. God, God has set his love on these people above everyone else. Now you say, but don't the other people have a chance? Yeah, they do. Because God's setting his love on these people. They're supposed to respond to God's love so that then the other nations who are worshiping other gods see how Israel worships their God and how they relate to their God and they're drawn back into the very God they've been rebelling against for centuries. Yeah. God shows favorites. He loves people in different ways. And he sets his love on his covenant people in a way that he does not set his love on people outside of the covenant. That might sting, but you will find that throughout the scripture. God has different ways of loving. And Moses is specifically honing in on this special covenant love. Well, you say, well, that's the Old Testament. That's, That's the people of God in the Old Testament. That's Israel. And I say to you, 1 John 3, 1, New Testament. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. You might want to, you'd probably do better to just take a picture of this. Sorry, trying to write them all down. First John 4, 9 through 10. 
In this is the love of God is made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that, lo- that God had loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation. That's a word that means satisfies the wrath. So he, he became the one that satisfies the wrath for our sins. Romans 5a, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I'm going to keep going. Ephesians chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Ephesians 5.25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. All of these point to God's love for the covenant people. The new covenant people are the ones I just showed you here. So in the Old Testament, we've got, we've got God setting his love on the people of Israel above all other peoples. In the New Testament, we've got God setting his love upon the church, believers in Christ, above everyone else. He loves them in a unique way. And so like right here, Ephesians 5.25, husbands, the example for husbands and how we love our wives is the way Christ loved the church. He didn't say the way Christ loved the world. He said the way Christ loved the church. That's very specific. Well, how did Christ love the church? Well, the church is our believers in Christ. Well, how did Christ love believers in Christ? He died for them. He gave himself up for them. He's very specific here. That's a very unique, special type of... There are things that got accomplished in Christ's death for the church. That's unique. So, why should we give our total allegiance to God? Moses is saying because he set his love upon you above all other peoples. And what am I saying to you? Even as new covenant people who who are believers in Christ, if you're a believer in Christ, God has set his love upon you above everyone else. He has given you a special, unique type of love. You are called a son or a daughter of God. You know not everybody gets that title. John 1, 12, to those who believe in him, who receive him, those he gives the right to be called children of God. Not everybody's a child of God. Now, if you were to say, yeah, but we're all God's children, and I press you a little bit to understand your language, and you say, well, we're all created by God, I'll say, yeah, absolutely. And there's one place in the scripture that might use that word child in that same way. But very clearly in the New Testament, we're told those who, gave, who are given the right to be called children of God are those who believe in Christ. There's a very unique, special type of love that God sets upon his people. He lavishes it upon them. You get to be called a son or a daughter of God. Amen. Okay? That's one of the reasons why you should give your total allegiance to God because he has set his love upon you. All right, we keep going because another reason is because God is supremely just. Supremely just, meaning... He is the highest level of just. He he is the highest standard of justice because God is supremely just. Look with me at verse 16, and we're going to move a little quicker through these now. Chapter 10, verse 16. Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. 
So Moses is, he's saying it again. Remember, the first time was that list, fear God, walk in his ways, love him, obey his commandments. Here he says it this way, circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart. That's a pretty graphic image. Now up to this point in the scriptures, where we've seen circumcision show up is in Genesis chapter 17, where Abram is, is about to have his name changed, by the way, but Abram is told by God, hey, I want you, I want you to keep my covenant. I'm going to keep my covenant with you, but I want you to keep my covenant. Here's the sign. Here's how you're going to keep my covenant. Every male in your flesh, you're going to be circumcised. If that's a question for you, your parents are very well equipped to answer that for you. Okay? But, but here's the image. In circumcision, there is a cutting away, a removal of something that is on the outside. I'm trying to restrict my hand movements here. Okay? There is a cutting away, a removal of things that are on the outside. That's the image that Moses is picking up on. Something that is on the outside needs to be cut away and removed. And he's giving that instruction to the people. Now, this is going to show up, the same word is going to show up again in Deuteronomy 30, but the difference there is in Deuteronomy 30, it's God who said to circumcise their hearts. It's going to show up in Jeremiah 4, and there the people are told to circumcise their hearts. Right? So there's, there, there's, is it God who's circumcising, or is it a people? It depends on the context. Here, the instruction is, you circumcise your heart, which means you obey the Lord. You remove the things that that are keeping you from obeying the Lord. You cut them away and remove them so that you can give your total allegiance to God. That's the imagery here, okay? And no longer be stubborn. And the reason, the reason for this, look at verse 17. The Lord your God is God of gods, Lord of lords. He's, he's He's the highest spiritual being there is. He's, he's higher than any of the greatest human people that are out there. He's the great, he's the mighty, and the awesome God. He's not partial, he takes no bribe. You can't sway him. You, you can't send him a little money under the table and he's going to turn your way or he's going to turn away from you and look the other way while you do. He, he can't be bribed. He is the standard of justice and therefore he executes justice. And so Moses will go on and he'll talk about two of the most um, oppressed people in that time. Widows and orphans. They had no property rights. They had no rights. If they were not cared for by their families, they would be on the streets. They would be rejected. Or they would have to turn to a way of living that no one would want to turn to. Okay? And so he says he executes justice for them. Therefore, you should do the same. God's people are giving total allegiance to God. And part of what that looks like is his standard of justice is our standard of justice. Amen. I don't get to take my standard of justice from what, what others say. My government doesn't determine my standard of justice. <sighs> if my government's standard of justice is in line with God's standard of justice, then they're correct. If my government's standard of justice is not in line with God's standard of justice, they're wrong, and I have an obligation to God and God alone. Do you see it? Total allegiance comes at a cost. You and I are living in a time where we should be experiencing that cost. Okay? Our government does not tell us what's right and what's wrong. The standard is God. To the extent that a government or a group of people aligns with him, then, then we, can, we can talk about partnering with them. But if they don't, we must walk away from that. We must resist. We must do so in a way that gives total allegiance to God. Okay? And... We go on, one more, because God is his people's praise. It's a weird way to say 
God is the one who is the object of our praise. He's our focus. He's the one that we praise. And here's what Moses says in verse 20. You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him and hold fast to him. And by his name you shall swear. He is your praise. He is your God who has done for you these great and terrifying things that your eyes have seen. Your fathers went down to Egypt 70 persons and now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars of heaven. You shall fear the Lord. That's another way of saying, fear him, love him, walk in his ways, obey his commandments, circumcise your heart and stop being stubborn. It's all saying the same thing. Moses is driving this home. You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him, hold fast to him. By his name you shall swear. In other words, you don't, you don't take oaths in any other God's name. Amen. And if you're taking an oath, remember the commandment was, do not take the Lord your God's name in vain. So you better be careful about those oaths that you're taking. He is your praise. There's our reasoning. He is your Why is it that I should give my total allegiance to God? Because he's the one who you've been praising. He's your God. He's the one who has done all these things that they had experienced. And I say to you, he is your God. He's the one who has set you free from the domain of darkness and puts you in the kingdom of his beloved son. If you're a believer in Christ, you've been transferred. You've been transferred from one kingdom to another. And it's God, the God of the Bible, the same God that we're reading about here, Yahweh. It's him who has done that for you in Christ. Right? It's him who has, who has sent his son so that he might come and destroy the works of the devil. It's Yahweh, the God of the Bible, who has done that. Therefore, he is our praise. He's the one that I give my total allegiance to. I don't get to pick and choose. I don't get to incorporate some things from other religions or other ways of thinking that are opposed to God. I tear those things down. When I'm totally allegiant to God, the God of the Bible, Anything that competes with that allegiance must be torn down. It must be destroyed. If that seems harsh to you, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul goes after the same thing. He talks about how their warfare is not, not of this earth, but it's spiritual. And he says there are strongholds. There's ways of thinking that are opposed to the knowledge of God and the gospel. And he says we use our weapons to tear those things down. We don't let things in our life. We don't give permission for things to stay in our life that compete with allegiance to God. That's an extreme statement. But God demands and requires total allegiance because he is the only one that's worthy. Everything else leads to destruction and death. Jesus says in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one, no one comes to the Father except by me. Listen, every person was made to know the Father, but not every person will know the Father. Only those who come through Christ know the Father. If you have come to know the Father because you have come by faith in Christ, then Yahweh, your God, the God of the Bible, is who you give your total allegiance to. It starts with him, his standards, his instructions, and everything else trickles down from there. If it goes against him, it's out of your life. If it competes with him, it's out of your life. Or it needs to be deprioritized in your life. Everything that competes with your allegiance to the God of the Bible, the God of your salvation, must 
go. Oh, but I can, I can handle this, a little bit of this. I won't be swayed. You will be slowly chipped away and your senses will be dulled and your heart will be calloused and you will never know it because it's just going to be little by little until one day you have walked so far away like drifting in the waves on the ocean, right? You don't pay attention to that fixed spot and all of a sudden you realize now I'm 500 yards away and I say I start swinging at a diagonal and get back, right? But listen, this is what God has done. Remember we saw these verses? God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners. So if you're saying to me this morning, Justin, but, but you don't know who I am. You don't know, you don't know what I've done. God surely doesn't want me. God demonstrates his love for us in this. This is how God shows his love. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He knows full well who you are. He knows full well who I am. He is not impressed by anything I bring to the table, nor is he turned away by anything I bring to the table. Because he knew full well when he sent Christ in his love, he was sending Christ to die for people who were already enemies of God, who were already in rebellion against God, and he sent Christ to die so that he can change some of those from enemies to friends, from enemies to children, to sons and daughters, from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his beloved son. Amen. Right? Amen. That's available through Christ. Christ is the one who obeyed the Lord 100% perfectly. He was righteous because he was fully God and fully man. He died a death on the cross that he did not deserve, but you and I deserved it. Why? Because I'm supposed to fear the Lord. Why should I fear the Lord? Because my sin gets me death. When I transgress, when I rebel against God, I am deserving of his justice. And what Jesus has done for me on the cross is he keeps me from receiving the justice that I deserve from God. He takes that justice. He takes the right and appropriate wrath of God towards my sin. He took it on the cross so that instead he might become sin for me and I might become the righteousness of God in him. There's an exchange that takes place. That's what God has done for us. That's why the people of God must give their total allegiance to God because Buddha didn't die for you, because Allah didn't die for you. Muhammad did not die for you. None of the gods of Hinduism died for you. None of the spirits that you might encounter in New Age or Wiccan uh, practicing died for you. They're all trying to lead you away from the very one who created you and who died for you so that you might live. So Father, come now and let us experience the love that you have for us as children of God. Holy Spirit, come and let us, let us feel the love for the Father that he has had for the Son for all of eternity. Come and lavish that upon your children now. And, 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 come, and come and let us know and feel your affection for us as children of God. And for those in this room who are not children of God, they've not believed in Jesus, they've not received him, Lord, in the name of Jesus, make it known to them. Would you open their eyes that they might see this is, this is the very God of gods and Lord of lords. He is, he is the highest in, uh, God and he, he sits high in the heavens and, and he is the creator of all things and yet he is intimately involved in the life of his people. Lord, draw some in today who are not part of that, that group of people. Help them to see and know that Christ died for them while they were sinners. Help them to see and know that it was the death of Christ and his resurrection from the dead that accomplished all that you needed to have accomplished that you might then give us the life that you want to give us, the eternal life. And draw them in that they might believe in Christ. They might believe in Jesus. 
God, for all of us, we will all give an account. Show us our hearts. What are we giving our allegiance to? And anything that competes with you, put a spotlight on it. That we might deal with it and go to war against it. Anything that is opposed to you, we don't want to give it room in our lives. We want to circumcise that out. We want to cut it out and remove it. So show us in your mercy, show us. Remind us that it's, uh, the, the Lord disciplines those whom he loves like a father disciplines a son who he loves. God, to receive your discipline, this, to receive your correction as your children is, is not to be rejected by you, but to be loved by you. So God, if we need your discipline, show us that we might become more and more like the son, like Jesus. And then God, come behind me. And if anything I've said is not accurate to you, then come and block our ears to it. And anything that is, Holy Spirit, come and help us to understand more deeply what you're trying to show us this morning. And then show us what it looks like to apply it and live it out in our lives. All that you might receive the glory, God. In Christ's name, amen. See you guys next week. Thank you.